All right, girl. All right. We doing this? I think so. How's our how are our levels? How are our levels, Benji? They look good. They look good. Oh. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rules your list, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Deanna. What's How up? are you? I'm good. <laughs> I'm better. I was really sick for a bit. Um, remember the the last time we recorded, I felt something coming on. Yeah, I think you were a little delirious. When, I was, when and, we were... and then I was incredibly sick for a week. You were? Yeah. I meant to ask you if you... Oh, I was laid up. I'm really glad you guys didn't get sick because I, I like, couldn't do anything. I think I had I had just gotten over being ill, and so I probably had just had whatever you got. Yeah, your immune system must have been prepped. Yeah. Anyway. Thank God. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a fun episode to cut. Because <laughs> I think we were all a little like punchy. Punchy. What else is new for us? Though? Um, good point. Good point. We say that every week. I know. I know. Well, uh, you're listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Yep. This is a weekly podcast where we talk about women. Yeah. Pretty much that. That's that. Women's. And, uh, women's. And uh, this week we're going to skip an intro because... Because my notes are inordinately long. <sighs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a nice heavy sigh. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the day this episode drops, we will have just exited um, Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month, and now it's uh, October 16th, which means we're entering the spookin' season. The spookin' season. <laughs> and I, I like last it. year it felt really cool. Um, we lucked out in that we had an episode actually air on Halloween, so oh, we, yeah. we did that like spooktacular witch fest. Um, we'll but, have to do that again because I think we have our our, our Halloween episode will air on the thirtieth. I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. close, close. So enough. we'll have to figure out what we want to do. Yeah. that time. Give us uh, ideas if you have them. Oh my god, I'm so excited for the the spooky things we've been getting tagged on in Twitter and. Yeah, send us your your ghost stories, your like crazy personal Halloween stories. All of it because we want to read it. Creepy videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got we got some interesting creepy videos on Twitter, of like ghost voices in the background. It was yep. very spooky. Yep. yep. Um, but yeah, so I I wanted to um, do a, a, a lady with that in mind. Hell yes. And it's um, it's very all encompassing, and the notes are long. So bear with me. Because it's fucking awesome and it's uh, fantastic. Uh, because this week I want to talk about um, ultimate horror movie scream queen Jamie Lee Curtis. What? <laughs> I did not expect that at all. No. I did not expect that at all. No. Sorry if I just blew out your eardrums. What? <laughs> yes. Whoa. I'm real excited. I last year, um, I, I've been getting a, an education in horror movies from Alex. And um, yeah. last year was the first time I ever saw Halloween. And I still have never seen it. I know, like, I I need to. Yeah, you, you do. <laughs> um, because it's just, it's great. And I'll talk about, for multiple reasons, why it's particularly great. Um, and how it basically spawned an entire genre. It was the first of its kind. And she was the first of her kind. And Damn, created a whole archetype 
in horror film and she's been doing it a lot and you haven't even told me anything about her yet and i am so impressed <laughs> thanks um but yeah no because last year uh the the halloween sequel came out oh that's right um with which so i haven't seen and listeners can be mad at me for this or whatever i haven't seen halloween 2 i haven't seen halloween 3 i haven't seen what is it uh h2o then there's resurrection and then there's the rob zombie ones like there's good the, god there's a lot halloween has been created and recreated or whatever four five and six four there you go um but by a lot of different people right yes but the original halloween and the one that came out last year the one that came out last year completely disregards any of the sequels. So you can watch the original and then watch that one. And okay. that's its own time. Like there are multiple timelines and multiple different versions mm. of character journeys. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure, I think, when you go down that path. So if I'm understanding correctly, you can treat almost the first Halloween and or the you can treat the newest Halloween as a sequel to the first Halloween. Yes. OK. All right. Uh-huh. Got it. It is a sequel that's, you know, 30 years later or whatever. Right. 40 years later? 40 years later. Okay. Um, And it's, it was fucking great. I, I was in love with it and he just bought it because I was like, we need to watch that movie again because it's so good. Uh, and they're doing the sequel right now to that one. Oh. Jamie Lee Curtis just posted on her Instagram from set. And, I love um, her. Anyway, anyway, let's 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 jump in, shall we? Because yeah. there are a lot of things I learned about her and her life that I was just like, a what? I had no idea. Um, so I just want to start. Her high school yearbook quote read, <laughs> Weirdness is a virtue that only some can project successfully. My bosoms aren't big, but they're mine. <laughs> oh, my God. She's a weirdo, and I uh. love her. Um, yeah. So she was born in Santa Monica, California. And um, I didn't really think about this in, in too much detail until uh, last year when I started, when I watched Halloween for the first time. She's the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. I knew that. You for kn- some it's reason. like something you know, but you don't think. And then you're like, she's literally Hollywood royalty. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so um, her paternal grandparents were Hungarian Jewish immigrants. Uh, maternal great grandparents were Danish. And then the rest of her ancestry is German and Scotch-Irish. So because she's the daughter of two very, very famous people, her childhood wasn't really normal. Normal. (laughs) Um, She was born November 22nd, 1958, and is quoted as saying, By the time I came along, my parents' bond had deteriorated precipitously as their stardom grew, and like any other save the marriage baby, I failed. Oh, sad. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe were reportedly madly in love with each other as young adults um, and reunited on the set of Some Like It Hot while Janet was pregnant with Jamie Lee. Fuck. Um, Yeah. She was uh, also married to Arthur Miller at the time. Marilyn Monroe was. But they definitely had an affair uh, during that time. And allegedly Marilyn Monroe wanted them both to divorce their spouses for one another and leave. And it's all very dramatic. What do we know Janet Lee from? Well, Psycho. Okay. (laughs) Which we'll delve into that. Cool. All right. More of the Scream Queen. That is, yeah, that is very appropriate. Yes. Lineage, yeah. Um, So... Yeah, apparently Arthur Miller found out about the affair and threatened Tony Curtis on set, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, that's just drama. Uh-huh. Um, 
Also, apparently Marilyn Monroe might have been pregnant with Tony Curtis's child. My goodness. And had a, quote, miscarriage, but some think maybe she had an abortion. Whoa. It's crazy. Um, but anyway. Imagine that being that's the drama surrounding you, you your were birth. born into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when she was four, her parents finally got divorced. Ugh. Um, she said, my mother persevered through it all and survived. I'm not sure if my sister and I did. Uh, there was no amicable divorce or joint family vacations. Um, and basically just said that while Tony Curtis was really good at providing for the family financially and doing his due diligence that way, he was not around, not interested at all Whoa. in being a father to her. Or uh, He has apparently he had six kids with different people and they were all cut out of his will. Oh, God. Jesus. Why? And they didn't know until he died. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is, it's like, wow. Okay. Fucked up. He seemed to be uh, troubled. <laughs> yeah. Historical dickhead. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, after they got divorced, Tony's next girlfriend was 17 years old. Oh, no, no. Yeah. 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 Real, yeah. Again, troubled. He was very troubled. Oh, God. Um... Let's see. Despite her complicated relationship with her father and her parents' complicated relationship with each other, um, her parents' example was crucial to her when it came to acting. Yeah. Uh, she said, one of the great benefits of being the daughter of great film stars is I had the opportunity to watch them play the game. But obviously, being raised by A-list celebrities is not something many of us can relate to. But that doesn't mean that her life wasn't without its own difficulty. Um, she describes her mother as the most beautiful woman she'd ever seen. Mm. And obviously, her father was also incredibly handsome. Like, his style inspired Elvis to copy him. Whoa. Because he had the, that dark hair that was slicked back and the bright blue eyes. Okay. Um, her older sister, Kelly, from that same marriage, was a model. Good God. <laughs> so the fa- when Jamie Lee was doing school plays as a kid, she was cast as boys and really Ugh. felt it was rough comparing herself as a young person to her model sister and two of the most beautiful people in Hollywood. This is why she felt the need to even mention her boobs in her high school quote. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she said when she was a teenager, she probably rated her own sex appeal as a six compared to her parents <laughs> oh who were perfect God. tens, which oh is my crazy. God. What she said is that she had a very abnormal, normal childhood. Yeah. Yeah, because she's clearly dealing with uh, the same things that we all dealt with in high school in Mm. terms of, like, self-image and feeling not good enough. But when your family is in the limelight and all gorgeous and also I mean, she's gorgeous, too, but there's a lot to live up to. Yeah, a very specific kind of gorgeous, I guess I should say. Yes. Well, the beauty standards then were different. And apparently, I talk about this a little later, but she was constantly criticized for being too skinny. Which is like something you would never encounter God, today, I don't think. It. You know, just so... Because she was tall and willowy and just very thin. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, despite the relative nor- normality of her childhood, she admitted, quote, it was just never forgotten who my parents were. Whenever I met anyone new, I was always introduced as the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. Mm. That would be really hard. That's, uh, you don't have your own identity. It, yeah, it would mess with you. Mess you're with your, you. Especially when you're forming your personality yeah. and your identity and you're a child and, and a teenager. So that's what she said. You're trying to develop an identity and a sense of self-worth. And all this Hollywood stuff plagues you and makes you wonder who you are. Oh. 
It didn't get too much easier when she got a little older. She said high school was fucking rough. Like, that's what she's quoted as saying. She said, when you're 12 through 18, you're developing sexually and emotionally. That's hard. Yeah, my time in high school was fucking killer, is what she said. She attended a couple high schools in Los Angeles. um, Beverly Hills High, which was later dubbed a designer school. Yikes. (laughs) Um, She moved to the East Coast when Janet was doing a role on Broadway, and she went to a Connecticut boarding school called Choate Rosemary Hall. And the only reason I bring that up is because uh, one of my good friends from college went there. And oh. I was just like, that's crazy. And I think he mentioned it once that, that Jamie Lee Curtis went to his school. What a weird connection. Yeah. So you're sort of connected to her in just like oh, a little way. Oh, so connected. You know. She's yeah. basically my friend. Yeah, yeah. But she really felt like she didn't fit in with her preppy, you know, upper crust classmates, even though she came from money. But I yeah. think I think Hollywood is just it's slightly different it than is. than like old money New England sort of like stiff upper. It's very almost it's New England, right? Yeah. So it's kind of British and it's sort of yep. the, the blue blood runs deep and long. And we've always so. had money. Anyway, that's just me surmising. No, I think that's true. And you've been to L.A. and you've lived in this area. So you've seen the difference between like how wealth manifests on that coast versus this one. It's very what different. what it looks like. Well, yeah, because there's so much in L.A. that out here is considered gaudy and ostentatious. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why people here don't fucking like Trump. Yeah. I mean, even before he was an idiot political. Whatever. <laughs> right. Before he was sabotaging but our country. But people don't like yeah. him here because he would put gold everything in places. And people are like, what the fuck are you doing, you ostentatious prick? Yeah. She said she never, again, she never really knew who she was. She would always copy other people. If another girl was wearing her hair up in a ponytail, she would do it. She would say she liked whatever kind of music other girls liked. There was one time when she was young that people compared her to... Uh, Lauren Bacall. So she literally mm. started trying to dress like Lauren Bacall. It's just, just, just you wanted yourself. to be what, what people were accepting you as. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she said pretending to be someone she wasn't was awful and that she'd never been so depressed. Um, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, we all get that. We all identify with that. But at the same time, if if no one knows who your parents are, you're not, you're just trying to find yourself for you, not for it's yeah it's hard enough yeah you know but on that sort of grand scale anyway um she says that uh her nightmarish high school experiences helped her hone her talent um Mm -hmm. she said i think the fact i had low self-confidence growing up and in high school made me a good actress uh it wasn't difficult for her to become whoever she was around I learned early to be a chameleon or to turn whatever color was needed. Ooh. Which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. Um, after high school, she decided to try and go to college for a sec. She was studying corrections. What? At University of the Pacific. Jamie Lee, why? She wanted to be a cop, apparently. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. But she said she was a terrible student. She was like partying and d- was making D's and it just really wasn't for her. So she kind of left. <laughs> um, she found out while she was in school, um, they were going to make a new Nancy Drew series and she wanted to audition for it. She didn't get the job, but her audition led her to trying out and subsequently landing a role in the television show Operation Petticoat. Whoa. Which sounds really stupid. And uh, she was playing a, it sounds amazing. a what are you hot talking nurse about? on a submarine or some shit. Oh my God, Jamie Lee. <laughs> Her role came with a seven-year contract, but she was almost immediately fired. What? Why? From the show. They just were like, eh, never mind. They didn't like her. <laughs> God. She, which obviously, of course, then 
proceeded to fuck with her confidence again because she thought that she couldn't act. Right. And she was like, this is the, the thing that I thought I could do because my parents are good at it. I should be good at it. And, you know, the sense of nepotism, it's not quite the same back then as it is now. Right. Um, but, like, you know, she probably felt like she got the role only because of her parentage. And then they didn't like her and she was almost immediately fired. So she, she could get her foot in the door but couldn't keep a job. What a bummer. Operation Petticoat was like a spinoff of a Tony Curtis movie, which is probably why she got cast. Yes. Yes. Um, But anyway, um, she says, I was devastated. I thought it was the end of my life. But had I not been fired, I wouldn't have been able to audition for Halloween. Oh. Which basically gave me the life that I have today. Whoa. And so now. Silver linings. I'm going to delve into Halloween and have a whole section because it's it's Halloween-y. And spookin' season. Spookin' season. Um, but I do have to give a ton of credit. Um, there is another podcast that I listen to, uh, Amy Nicholson. She's a film critic and film historian from L.A. She did a podcast called Halloween Unmasked. Ooh. And it's a really excellent series. And so a lot of this information, uh, I'm getting, I have other sources as well. But the Halloween stuff specifically, I'm going to totally give her credit for that. And everybody should go listen to her podcast about Halloween if you have any interest in horror movies. So you send me a link to that so I'll put yeah, it in the Yeah, she's notes. very succinct and, and d- delves deep and in the podcast she interviews John Carpenter and Deborah Hill and like and, and Jamie involved. Lee Curtis. Yeah, so cool. okay. Um, her quote about Halloween. That's mine. I did that. That's all me. That movie, the experience of it was her emotional coming out apparently. Um, Damn. So the term Scream Queen became associated with her because she was making a lot of horror movies and she was the star of a lot of horror movies. Before Halloween? No. Oh, okay. okay. Starting with Halloween. Gotcha. Yes. Um, she had started a trend and her character created a template. The slasher movie Final Girl. Whoa. So what's the difference between a scream queen and a final girl? Uh, they're all horror actresses. Um, finer, final girls are like a smaller subgroup of scream queens. Like scream queens mm. are all actresses who scream in a horror movie, right? Okay. But the final girl is the girl who survives. Right. At least until sequels. <laughs> oh. Cuz sometimes I that see. yeah. Okay. Um so why are final girls like what makes a final girl the way that she is? It's actually outlined super great in the movie Scream, which I watched for the first time last year too. Um, I still haven't seen Scream. God, I suck. There were uh, all of the screams were on Netflix. I don't know if they still are. If he looked it up, they said it was like they're on for four days or six days at the beginning of the month. <laughs> they maybe still are, but um, if people want to check it out, um, I I had seen the first two, but then we watched the 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 third and the fourth, and the fourth was amazing. I just I'm sorry, I was like so I was like no fucking way is this just going to keep getting cheesier and cheesier? But the fourth one was really well written. Anyway. Here are the rules for being a final girl as inadvertently created by Laurie Strode in Halloween. Number one, you can't have sex. Mm, okay. You have to be virginal. Okay. Number two, you can't drink or do drugs. Okay. Again, it's a, it's it's a, a purity, purity thing, thing, but Laurie Strode smokes weed. So anyway. Uh, so yeah. Number three, you can't ever say, I'll be right back. Because <laughs> you won't come back. <laughs> um... But of course, when Jamie Lee Curtis played Laurie Strode, none of those rules were true yet. And then it says she even broke one because she definitely smoked weed in the yeah. movie. Um, so Laurie Strode set the mold 
And after her, slasher films copied this idea of having a sole innocent girl who survives the horrors that kill off all of her friends. Um, And you think about pretty much any slasher movie created. Yeah. Most of them have this archetype in them. Yeah. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser, Friday the 13th, Scream. Yeah. You have the same except Scream is like poking fun at it, which is kind of why Scream's amazing. Um, And you look like It Follows. It's the same thing, which It Follows also fucking amazing. Isn't there a, a like a campy kind of horror movie that came out a couple years ago called Final Girl? Mm -hmm. And like it's like we're to the point where we are now parodying it Mm -hmm. so much that we're just creating entire films about it. Yes, but also the parodies have existed for because Scary Movie, when Scary Movie came out, uh, um, Anna Faris's character was so virginal she had like an electrified set of underwear. And then, you know, Carmen Electra oh my God. had like her, her breast implants like came out while she was running, like she was being stabbed and they popped out or some shit. I don't yes. know. I've seen a scary movie, but oh it's like God. they're they're parodying those tropes. Yeah. Sex bad, virginal good. Right. Um, but Scream Queens have a longer history than even Halloween. Um, they go back as far as like sound in movies because you think about Faye Ray in uh, uh, King Kong. Yeah. She was probably the first woman to scream in a film. Oh, interesting. So, mm-hmm. so it really is like that's the criteria. Uh-huh. Like the movie has to maybe be a little scary and also the main character, female character is screaming, has a yeah. moment of screaming. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're afraid of something and it makes you scream. Cool. Uh, apparently, John Carpenter uh, for Halloween created a terror scale from one to 10 and he wrote the numbers all up on Jamie Lee Curtis's script so that she know how knew how scared to be. For each moment. That's smart. Yes. That's really smart. So there's a moment in Halloween where Lori sees all of her murdered friends in at one time. She like sees one, then runs into another, then runs into another. And Ugh. he says, that's a 9.5. And so what did she do to get to a 9.5? She pictured her mother dead in bed. Oh, God. Which is so horrifying. Uh. That's, um, because she and her mom were super close. Yeah. Um. She was only one when her mom shot Psycho. And back in the early 60s, obviously Janet Lee was a huge star. Right. Apparently, she was discovered at a ski resort. What? Like, that's how it worked back then. People were like, you're beautiful. Do you want to be in the pictures? Like, what the fuck? So she was at a ski resort. Oh, my God. And then plucked up and taken to Hollywood. That's bananas. And she had done a number of films before she did Psycho. But then apparently Psycho kind of ruined her career. Why? Because it was a very revolutionary movie, hmm. um, it was doing a lot of things that films didn't do. It was like the first mainstream movie that had a toilet <laughs> in it. Oh, my God. It was the first okay. mainstream movie that showed a woman in her bra. Yeah. And it's like people were so freaked out by the movie that it it was like too controversial. And she was kind of tainted by that. Yeah. Um, it's what Amy Nicholson said is after Janet Lee got stabbed in the shower, no one wanted to see her be funny or fall in love or hang out with Lassie. Whoa. Um, her scream queen typecasting was so hard to shake that Jamie Lee inherited it. God, that's so crazy. Yeah. Because that was part of the reason they wanted her to come audition for it. The same thing happened with, um, The Exorcist. The producers of the, she was 12 years old when The Exorcist was, um, in pre-production and they call. They had the same idea. They're like, we should get Janet Lee's daughter to do this. And Janet vehemently was like, nope, you are not just didn't want that. gonna do that. 
That's so funny. But that's it's interesting because, you know, obviously Jamie Lee went on to, <laughs> to do the same thing, kind of. Once it was her own choice, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of respect her for that. Yeah. Um, apparently, a lot of people find the phrase scream queen demeaning. Okay. Like it means terrible actress. Like you're just kind of relying on oh. the scream. Because I think there's so much cheesiness hmm. and hokiness to a lot of horror movies. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean... No. That you're a bad actress. I don't know. Anyway, Jamie Lee actually liked the name because she she says, at that age, the idea of somebody giving you a nickname and having you be the queen of anything was extraordinary. Yeah, that sounds like, that sounds great. Um, And just the thought of the over the topness, especially of really low budget horror, it's actually really demanding mm-hmm. on actors. Um. Oh my you, God, the you, horror stories I've heard about the things that these directors do. I mean, think about The Shining. Mm-hmm. Kubrick put, uh, fuck, what's her name? Uh, Shelley Duvall. Duvall through hell. Yeah. Literally. And I don't remember the, the director of Texas Chainsaw, but like. Uh, Toby Hooper. Yeah, T- Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper, like, destroyed his actors. Like, mm-hmm. mentally and physically just destroyed them. But also, you're, in these movies, people are being put in the most insane situations that actually require really intense emotional upheaval. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. You know, Amy Nicholson said in her podcast, she's like, none of us, at least as you listen to something, presuming you're listening to something right now, have ever experienced the moment right before your own murder. Right. That's in, that's a hard. Of course, that's terrifying. Yeah, you're you're out there in you know whatever costume they've put you in and the makeup they've put you in. You're surrounded by a crew, and then you have to pretend like you have just had the most traumatic thing happen to you that uh, could happen. Period. Right. Which is a good seg because if you think about, you haven't seen Halloween, but if you think about the emotional journey of Laurie Strode, in one single day, she goes from this like completely innocent teenager. To a woman, a, a young woman who has seen her friends murdered and escaped physical assault herself. Right. Some of the most traumatic shit in one day, you know? Yeah. Her whole worldview is different after that day, that character. Yeah. So, you know, anyway. Yeah. Something else that's super cool about a lot of horror slasher movies that I didn't really think about is that they offer young actresses the opportunity to star in movies especially back then in a way that they never got to and still often don't yes they're in their their new fresh faces like i didn't know who micah monroe was before it follows that was her breakthrough and that movie was amazing um you get you you get to have to be the core emotional arc of the film yeah have the whole audience theoretically care about you Yep. And what happens to you? Yep. You're not just the the love interest on the side. You're not just You're not the some guys you're not some guy's hot girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And that was the main reason why Jamie Lee said yes to Halloween when she was offered the role. That makes sense. She said, quote, When I was nineteen years old, I was fighting for two lines a week on a TV series. And so to have a script where every single page was this girl was amazing. Every single page. It's mind blowing. Her line. Yeah. Constant. She was in every scene. Pretty much. I can't Um, even imagine. And, you know, obviously they were thinking about how cool would it be to have Janet Lee's daughter star in this. But that's (laughs) right. But that's not what she was thinking about. 
Um, Because she said, quote, when I got Halloween, my first thought wasn't, ooh, my mother was in Psycho and I'm going to be in this horror film. I was just thrilled to get a job where the word Lori was on every page of the script. (laughs) The last thing on my mind was, oh, my mother was also famous for that. Right. (laughs) Um, But she also had never seen Psycho. So, of course, she didn't really think about it that much. She just didn't want to see her mom die on screen. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently... I guess that makes sense. Like, if that's the thing you have to imagine in order to get yourself to the place where you can scream at a 9.5 level of terror, you don't want to watch the movie where that actually happens. Right. Yeah. Um, And apparently, I find it kind of ironically funny, Jamie hates horror movies. What? She's too scared. She, she When she first saw um, The Exorcist, it was at one of her birthday parties, apparently. God. And she was so afraid uh, that everybody started to make fun of her and call her Dimmy, which is apparently the priest's <laughs> name because he's afraid. And so everybody in high school started making fun of her because she was too scared to watch The Exorcist. So she's always hated oh, them. No. She's never, she's good friends with Sigourney Weaver and she's never seen Alien because she's too scared. Oh my God. <laughs> Apparently, there's a funny uh, 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 story that she, when she went to go see Silence of the Lambs, her friend had given her a piece of paper listing when she should close her eyes and oh. not look. That's the only way she would go see that movie. Um, That's so precious. I know. Um, but Psycho had been a huge part of her life. And, and for a while, like, her mom got so many creepy fan letters Ooh. that they had to get the FBI involved. So she had seen, she didn't want to see this movie that basically hindered her mother's career, made her have a bunch of creepy fans. Anyway. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Uh-huh. Um, so when she was on the way to audition for Halloween, her mom gave her one piece of advice, which was, be yourself, Jamie. You can't learn to act, but you can learn to lose your inhibitions. Mm, that's, I mean, that's good advice. Yes. For any actor. And um, one thing I do want to point out about Halloween, Halloween is like known to be associated with John Carpenter because it's like his masterpiece, right? And he's a great fan. He's involved actually with the sequel that came out last year. Right. Um, he wasn't in a lot of the others, um, but he helped with this one, which okay. is another reason why it's awesome. But... Um, it was co-written by his girlfriend at the time, Deborah Hill, and okay. she produced it. And she was 27 years old. She co-directed the movie. She co-produced the movie and she co-wrote the movie. The original. The original okay. Halloween. And she um, wrote all the scenes with the girls in them, Oh, which is part of why it's so real because they weren't writing. They were writing real women. Holy shit. That's. I don't know why that's mind-blowing. It shouldn't be, but I think it just is because we contribute or we attribute so much of movies, so many movies like this to men and the men involved. But like, yeah. Well, I mean, it's called John Carpenter's Halloween. Is you it really? That's the whole, that's the whole yeah. name? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. I didn't know that. It's all, you got to associate it. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so funny. But it's... That's crazy, It's though. amazing to me. And I'll get into it more in a bit, but it's, it's that... She, her directing the scenes with the girls, mm-hmm. her writing the scenes with the girls, making them feel real is part of what made the movie so revolutionary and so successful. Yeah. But then all the copycat movies that came afterwards that were written and directed by men alone, the, the female friendship core of it just poof, went right over their head. Yeah. And that's how the archetypes got fucked up again. Ah. I'll go more into that later. So when Jamie Lee auditioned, she auditioned with Deborah Hill. 
Um, and her audition was a phone call scene between Lori and her friend Annie. It wasn't a scream scene. It wasn't a horror scene. Deborah Hill knew at 27 producing her first movie, she was like, the important thing, especially for this actress, I need to know if the daughter of two A-list celebrities can just play a normal fucking girl. <laughs> oh, man. So that's why she did the phone call scene. That's so She wanted smart. to see if she could be real. <laughs> Which is so wow. smart. It's like, it, ugh. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yes. To even think about that, that like you would have to make sure <laughs> that the daughter of this A-list celebrity knows how to be a real person. This girl who grew up rich, who grew up kind of sheltered from, from the real world, grew up in a completely different world. Mm-hmm. Another fun fact. So in Halloween, Lori's hair is kind of like frizzy and poof. So Jamie Lee was so dedicated to wanting to be a normal, ordinary mess of a girl. She permed her hair, oh. then sabotaged the perm. Oh, Damaging her hair beyond repair. Oh. And that's... So after Halloween, she's like, when she cut her hair into the the bob that it... The, the crop it's known for today. Oh. Because she damaged her hair <laughs> to play a normal God. girl. I mean, look, I get it, but... Oh, She man. really wanted to... That's dedication. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesus. When we think about tropes of horror movie... Scream Queen, Final Girl types. Laurie Strode is probably the most ordinary high school girl in maybe every movie ever. Like, she doesn't yeah. dress in that sort of, I don't know, how does Amy Nicholson put it? She said, uh, a lot of you know what I'm talking about when I say Halloween teen girl ordinary is kind of bullshit. Halloween ordinary is a total babe hiding behind nerd glasses. Uh-huh. Or Molly Ringwald in Pretty in Pink who gets bullied for reasons that don't even make sense. So it's like these girls who have the I'm geeky, but I'm kooky. I'm actually obviously super cool type of fashion. Yep. Yeah. But Lori Strode was not that. Yeah. She wore normal clothes. She had a bad perm. She had a bad, destroyed (laughs) perm. She just looked completely average. Yes. I love that. Because I know exactly what you're talking. I mean, it's that that, um, she's all that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Where you've got this girl that wears overalls and glasses and all you have to do to make her beautiful, quote unquote, is like take off her glasses and put her in a dress. Right. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Um, But good job, Anna Paquin. Well done on that makeover. I know. She did great. (laughs) Such a good job. Um, So that, that theoretically is part of what makes Halloween work so well, especially in contrast to Michael Myers, the villain of Halloween. Because he's kind of almost superhuman. Yeah. And she's extraordinarily ordinary. <laughs> I like that that sentence. Which almost makes it seem scarier. hmm Because it's not a heightened hot girl who thinks she's nerdy. It's truly right. like, that could be me. Yeah. Shit. You know? Um, John told Jamie Lee her job was to make the audience fall in love with her. To make them want to protect her. Hmm. And up until that point, there never really been a moment in movie theaters where people would yell at the screen or something like that. And he basically told her at the beginning, he's like, if, I, if people don't yell at that screen, which had never been done before, then you failed. And she's like, <laughs> cool. Okay. She's 19. And she's like, cool. But she did. And the first time she saw Halloween in a screening, 
there's a moment where she's walking up to the murder house and she's gonna like go into the murder house and someone's like don't go in there and it was like fuck yeah I did, I did it. it I did it <laughs> I did it because people envisioned her as kind of their little sister like their slightly awkward dorky little sister they want to protect I love that. I also love that as a goal on the part of the director. Yeah. Like your your main focus is to make people yell at the screen. Like that's such a specific mm-hmm. thing to go in with, but it 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 gears everything you do towards that and I think that's really smart. Random fact, before yeah. I forget cuz I want to insert this here. Do you know that the Michael Myers mask was a William Shatner Halloween mask that they painted white? <laughs> It's William Shatner. Oh, no. Oh, no. William Shatner, you poor thing. <laughs> That's what happens on a low-budget movie. They're like, just go get some. Okay, paint it white. Done. Well, wow, that looks terrifying. Because, you know, masks of people always look like you've seen Barack Obama masks in Halloween stores that are utterly terrifying. That's, yeah. They're so, just always scary, no I'm matter sure what. it's the same type of thing. That's so funny. Um, So... Okay, now I want to go back to how Halloween inadvertently fucked up the archetypes and how that was not the intent in any way, shape, or form on the part of uh, John Carpenter or Deborah Hill, right? So this movie got made right after, like, the women's lib movement. So it was actually a pretty sort of... I didn't think liberal about that. time yeah. when it came to women's identities and, and what women were cool with doing. Um, anyway... But, so, here are the facts of the movies, right? Michael's sister Judith has sex, and then he murders her. That's the beginning. Linda, Lori's friend, has sex, and she gets strangled. Annie is about to drive away to go have sex with a boy, and she gets strangled. Mm. Lori, the final girl, doesn't have sex, and she survives. So, like Scream said, sex is death. And people noticed that, and they thought John and Deborah were somehow saying, virgin's good, people who have sex bad. But what they were actually trying to say was something more along the lines of being lonely makes you more observant. Oh. And more aware of your surroundings. Okay. Not that's so it had nothing to do with sex. It's that these girls had things distracting them. Yes. Okay. But people obviously took away a completely different message. Yeah. And copycat movies that came after repeated what they thought Halloween was saying as if they had set some sort of like rule list right and they thought it was super clever probably yes and but a huge point of what john carpenter was trying to say was that sometimes bad stuff happens for no reason so when they wrote the movie there was absolutely no deeper meaning to the promiscuous girl dying and vice versa right like it could have worked the same way if they had had one girl go off to have sex and one girl go off to like meet a friend for coffee and one girl go off to do whatever it, the point is that, like, Lori had the power of observation because she was alone. Yes. And so it didn't matter that it was sex. Right. <sighs> That's interesting. But because of that, slasher movies somehow adopted some sort of morality framework. Right. Even though teenage girls having sex with their boyfriends is super normal. And uh. was back then. And then... Be- because of that, somehow, the more it became entrenched in um, patriarchal gazy shit, mm-hmm, horror mm-hmm. movies started getting more male gazy and gross about the way that they shot their sex scenes. Um, they really were objectifying the slutty girls, slutty girls, quote unquote, on screen, yeah. like lingering a little too long on their boobs. Like there's always tits 
There were boobs in Halloween as well, but it was John Carpenter's first sex scene and he was actually really shy about shooting it. But they're just kind of very matter of fact. Like they're just in the scene. It's not like a boing, like look, their titties out. Like just she's just she had sex, so she's naked. Yeah. Did he have Deborah Debbie Debbie Hill? Deborah Hill? Shoot that scene? Or like with him? I don't know. At all. I would just be curious to know how much of the sort of neutral gaze is also because she was there helping. Because, yeah, I mean, if you don't have if you don't have someone with a female gaze on your set. Yeah. Why would you have that? Right. Um, But yeah, so it kind of became warped and heightened in in preceding or following movies. Preceding is the right word. I don't know what I got. Anyway. Um, but they also became even more creepy in sexualizing the torture of the promiscuous women. Yeah. And the spectacle of that torture. Is that where we get the word torture porn? I mean, I think that's that's just movies that that's all that exists. I refuse to watch like Saw and stuff. I just won't do it because the whole point is just to watch people get suffer. S- yeah. But yeah. there's I, whatever. People can argue with me about that. Whatever. Um, I won't argue. Yeah. Uh, Halloween didn't torture its girls. Not in an exaggerated, fetishized way, anyway. Obviously, they were being harangued by a, meth, a, a serial killer, but yeah, but they, it didn't. It wasn't like extended torture for the sake of just showing a naked woman get tortured on screen, right? Um, later slasher movies most definitely do do that, um, and they seem to justify it by heightening the caricature of the archetype of the promiscuous girl. Right, she deserves it. Yeah, these women got dumber. They got bitchier. They got hornier Mm -hmm. to the point where when people watch these movies, they actually root for them to die. Yeah. Or cheer or laugh when they die. And that's ridiculous. And that's not what the intent was for Halloween at all. And and somehow it just completely went out of hand. Yeah. Um, It's important to think about the fact that John and Deborah really liked all of the female characters that they wrote. They liked Linda and Annie and Lori. They didn't want them want to die. them to die because they were immoral or anything. It, yeah, the girls in the movie, they, they aren't supposed to be divided into like good or bad categories. They're just girls. Well, it sounds to <laughs> me like the point of their death is not to watch them die, but to see what Jamie Lee Curtis does and how she feels about it. Yes. Which is not what... Which I think is what Michael Myers was intending. Like, of course, he wanted to kill them. But he he intentionally places them in places that Laurie Strode's going to find them because he knows it's going to scare her. Right. That's the point. Yeah. Anyway. Not teaching these promiscuous characters a lesson. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you see, Laurie, you see what happens to your promiscuous friends. Yeah. But then you think about Friday the 13th. Which was directed by a man who started his career in softcore porn. Oh, God. And rushed to copy Halloween immediately. Mm. But he, he, in the process, lost the entire real feel of these women that Deborah Hill worked so hard to make realistic in the film. Yeah. He, he just seemingly like saw the movie and all he noticed was these women were hot and slutty and they died. Yeah. And ooh, that was cool. He, it, it was like the core of it didn't hit him. The nuance was not there. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, so there are a few horror movies that came before Halloween. Um, there's a movie called Black Christmas. 
um, which they're actually remaking, and it looks super cool. Um, oh. Bloomhouse is uh, uh, doing a remake of it. Okay. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre actually came before Halloween, and but women in those movies had sex. Yeah. And survived. And Black Christmas, which came out one year after Roe versus Wade, the main character is even pregnant and considering an abortion, which then puts her boyfriend in the suspect list because he doesn't want her to get one. Oh. So, but that's really revolutionary in and of itself. Yes. But that trope didn't exist yet. And I don't know how Halloween became, I guess because people loved it so much and it was so much of a phenomenon, they just latched on to the wrong shit. Well, and when you have, I mean, it, it, it clearly ended up being a thematic element, the girls having sex and then dying, in a way that it that it hadn't in previous films because that hadn't really been happening in those previous films. Yeah. Like, that's such a, a thematic, a noticeable thematic thing in Halloween yes. that I can see why people latched onto it. Yeah. It's a bummer that they didn't latch onto any other part of it. Right. Yeah. What's the Friday the 13th fact? Here. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, spoilers on a fucking nearly 40-year-old movie, but in the first film, the killer's not Jason, the killer is his mother, because when Jason went to the summer camp, he di- he drowned in the lake because the counselors were having sex and doing drugs and drinking when they should have been watching him. Oh. The moral behind that movie at the end is that the mother has come back and is hunting down counselors there who are having sex, drinking, and doing drugs because she blames that behavior for the reason that Jason drowned in the lake. Interesting. So it's very blatant, those tropes, in that first movie. Right. It's literally the reason behind the murder. Literally. Like, she... <laughs> that is her, yeah, that is her point, is that these things have caused her child to die. That's interesting. I mean, that's still a very... That's a, a very personal um, reason for that character. It's not necessarily, like, the movie making an overall com- commentary on, like, sex is bad. Or whatever, right? It, it's just using that person to. You could argue that for sure. It's saying that Pamela Voorhees personally views those things as evil now because of yeah. what it did to her life. It's but you can though, say like, it leads to murder. Yeah, and clearly, like that, that because continues you're doing to get something morally wrong. Yeah, in her eyes, in that movie, but like it continues to get dumbed down as as movies continue to get made. Right. <clears throat> so she got no work immediately following Halloween, even though that was like her big break. She got a few TV guest spots, um, but was really struggling to get more jobs because casting directors would tell her how she needed to change her appearance. What? Okay. Uh-huh. Um, she was too tall. She was too thin, To this, to that. Oh, right. All she needed to fix shit. her teeth. She needed to fix the dark circles under her eyes, even though she was young. It was genetic. Her dad had dark circles under his eyes, but nobody fucking said anything to Tony Curtis. No. Anyway, um, so she was struggling to get jobs. So John Carpenter decided to give her a leading role in his next film, The Fog, which Thank is you, another John. horror movie. All right. But it was like, a, a, I think he was trying to be as different as possible in that one. It was like his, his like pendulum swing response to Halloween. Okay. Um, I, I couldn't really speak much more on that because I haven't seen The Fog yet. Okay. Um, but so then she did two horror movies in a row. So then horror movie offers started to come in. She did six horror movies in three years. Oh. This is why God. she's the Scream Queen. Right. Makes sense. Yes. It makes sense. But she had to figure out a way to get out of horror films <laughs> before she was permanently typecast like her mother, which oh is what God. you were saying. 
Um, but uh, there's never been a moment that she's regretted doing Halloween. Yeah. And getting the part of, like, of Laurie Strode. Um, I think part of the reason that she perhaps survived, pun not intended, being in horror movies at the outset of her career was ironically because she was mostly cast as the virginal final girl. So she wasn't over-sexualized in these movies and wasn't therefore oh. being seen as a vapid actress who was only being called in for her looks. Right. And not her ability. Right. Um, but then hilariously, when she started doing real drama, um, she started do- doing nudity on screen. And then her nickname in Hollywood became The Body. Really? Yes. What? So it's so funny that she was like, well, fine, here are my tits. What, what is <laughs> it? Uh, fuck, in Scream, they're like, when are we going to see her tits? Because they're, they're play- when he's talking about all the rules of slasher movies, Halloween is playing on TV in the background. And um, Jamie Kennedy's character is like telling those rules. And then they're like, when do we see Jamie Lee Curtis's tits? And he's like, nope, she didn't show her tits until she went legits. Oh, my God. Trading places. Yes. So... I thought that that was just kind of ironic, but I think that that's probably part of what helped her break out of that. Yeah. But it's it's still, it's still very much a core part of her film identity. The body. I have never heard that. That's Mm -hmm. so fucking weird. Mm -hmm. Given everything. And um, naturally, of course, now she celebrates her family heritage rather than seeing it as a burden or a hindrance. Um, she's really proud to be Tony Curtis and Janet Lee's daughter. Um, and she knows that ultimately it helped her. Yeah. You know, have the life that she does have. Yeah. Um, I love this, this little quote um, that Amy Nicholson did. It says, Michael can't seem to die, but apparently neither can Laurie Strode. She's died multiple times in the <laughs> Halloween series, but she keeps coming back, presumably because we love Jamie Lee and what she brings to the role. Because like that's a part of the thing yeah. is that Michael pretty much dies at the end of every movie or so we think and then he always comes back but there have been like I was saying multiple timelines like alternate timelines of the Halloween series so it's like in one it's like Laurie Strode does this and goes through this and then they remake it you know 15 years later like Halloween H2O is a completely different thing and she in one movie has a daughter and then she has a son and then in this last one she has a daughter so it's like people just disregard I think in Halloween 2, it comes out that that Michael Myers is her brother, and that's why he's obsessed with her. But then they completely, they make fun of that in the one that came out last year. It's like, I heard you were his brother. She's like, no, that's fucking bullshit rumors. And this was always Jamie Lee. Always Jamie Lee. Always playing Laurie Strode. She always felt like she owed it to the fans to keep Laurie Strode as her. And she felt like she owed it to John Carpenter, even though John Carpenter wasn't involved in a lot of the sequels. Right. But she felt like because he gave her her break, she thought it she she owed it to everybody. That is so fascinating. Also, mm-hmm. like, that's basically just a bunch of fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just all fan fiction mm-hmm. for years and years and years. <laughs> that's crazy. Yep. That's so funny. Um, and then, of course, it, um, she had a lead role on the, the Fox show Scream Queens, the Ryan Murphy show. Oh, fuck Ryan Murphy. But yes, I remember that. But they parodied Janet Lee's shower scene in it. Right. When someone's like coming after her character and she like turns the tables and she's like, I fucking saw that movie. Yeah. Don't try that on me. Even yeah. though she didn't. Because she doesn't want to watch her mom die. <laughs> but that's like, that's that's an Easter egg for very specific fans. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I didn't know this until I started researching her. Jamie Lee Curtis is married to Christopher Guest. Isn't that insane? I just learned that recently. And they've been married for fucking ever. They got married in 1984. Now, who's Christopher Guest? Christopher Guest is a a did fucking best in show, Mighty Wind. He did uh, uh, Waiting for Guffman. He's a a prolific. Yeah, this is Spinal Tap. uh, Actor, director, writer. Yeah. She originally fell in love with him when she saw a picture from the movie This Is Spinal Tap and Rolling Stone and said to Deborah Hill, who she was with at the time because they became really good friends, she said, oh, I'm going to marry that guy. Oh. And she fucking did five months later, which is insane. <laughs> oh, oh That's my so God. Fast. And the fact that they're still together and very happily in love. <laughs> it's so sweet. They have two kids that they adopted. <laughs> and randomly, she also happens to be Jake Gyllenhaal's godmother. What? Yeah. Okay. Um, when her father-in-law died in 1996, Christopher Guest, who I forgot was British, became the fifth Baron Hayden Guest, which means <laughs> that Jamie Lee Curtis is also a Baroness. She is the right honorable, the Lady Whoa. Hayden Guest. Oh my God. That is so weird. Yes. And I love it. But she rejects the idea of using the title, saying it has nothing to do with me. And yeah, and it never did up until whenever she inherited that title. In, in 1996. Right? 1996. So I mean, right honorable the lady Hayden Guest. Oh my god. So weird. Which I didn't know he was a baron. I I a British peer, and he's apparently very vocal about he was he was saying that the um uh the House of Lords should be democratic. They should be elected, not just given a seat. And All right. he doesn't have a seat there anymore. <laughs> That's very democratic. Yeah, but he's still, <laughs> but he's still uh, the Baron Hayden guest. That is um, so funny. Yeah, um, she says that becoming a mother was the most profound, indescribable event of her life, which Aww, is all Jamie. the more um, heartwarming, knowing that she adopted her children. Yeah. Um, but when she adopted her daughter in the eighties, I think eighty six is when she adopted her daughter. Um, she, her son was 96 that they adopted him, but her daughter was, was 86. Um, but her career was obviously really demanding at that time. Yes. She was really in a, a huge surge. Um, she was doing Fish Called Wanda. She said she cried every day to and from work. Oh. She said not that it wasn't super fun, but it was I would leave my sleeping six-month-old daughter, six daughter, go to work an hour away, work for 12 hours, sometimes more, then drive an hour back home, often to find, it, to find her asleep again. <laughs> um, she said that was the beginning of it all for me. But what does that mean? Um, there was a moment, I think, in the 80s and the 90s that she was trying to seek out plastic surgery because oh. she continued to struggle with her confidence in her appearance. Oh. Um, she was an, an aging. Yeah. Um, she said, I attempted various types of plastic surgery minutely, but enough to stave off this encroaching middle-aged body. Every time I did, something went wrong. I felt misshapen, just not natural anymore. So after trying liposuction and Botox a few times, she came to the conclusion that none of it works. Um, So as far as she was concerned, plastic surgery was a bust. Um, But then it also somehow provided her, uh, not somehow, an avenue into um, addiction. Oh. Because she was abusing pain pills. Right. So after her first cosmetic procedure... She got pain pills for the first time. Oh, man. And then she began to abuse it. Um, 
and she was Fuck. drinking too much. She was drinking excessively, and she said that she was anesthetizing herself on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, she said that she confessed to stealing pills from her sister. Um, she she was like feeling lonely or whatever. Like Hollywood is hard. I totally get that. Um, but then in the late nineties, she realized how it was affecting her daughter. And in 1999, she decided, she, like, it just finally just all clicked in her head. And she was like, I need to quit. And she's been sober since 1999 and says that that's her, like, greatest achievement in life mm. is being sober. Good for her. But while she was recovering, she decided she wanted to focus less on her fucking body image. <laughs> she's like, this sucks. And she started to accept her graying hair. She I basically, love her, her gray, like, yeah, crop. Ice. Ugh. Crop, yeah, and she switched out her high heels for flats. Fuck yes. Um, and while we might think of the no makeup movement as a fairly recent trend, she actually bucked conventional beauty standards in 2002 when she took part in an unretouched cover shoot without makeup and only in her underwear. Ooh, yeah. She was 43 at the time. She stipulated the conditions, which was no makeup, no hairstyling, no manicure. I'm in my underwear. You're not retouching this. She wanted to put an end to the idea that celebrities are perfect. Perfect. Um, she said, there's a reality to the way I look without my clothes on. I don't have gray thighs. I have big breasts now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a soft, fat little tummy. And I've got back fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an um, enormous success. People yeah. were like, what? Surprise. <laughs> um, God. She said it was a way of apologizing to her fans if she ever made them feel lesser than. Oh, God. And coming from, from somebody who clearly, like, struggled with that so much, that is hard because I think, I mean, yes, she's already had so many body issues and to feel like she might be responsible for other people's body issues after... By being a part of celebrity culture oh, and also trying plastic surgery and whatever to fit in yeah. after being told for so long when you were young that you didn't look right. That breaks my heart. And then when she turned 50, she did a topless photo shoot. Damn and straight said, she did. I have not had one second of anxiety about turning 50. And she is she she mm. says over and over she feels more confident now. I think she's 60 now. Yeah. At this age than she ever did when she was a teenager or 19 or 20. And she is now able to like watch Halloween and see how beautiful she was at that time <laughs> and remember how unbeautiful she felt. Aww. Like the only thing she's really changed fully, she had her teeth changed because she thought her teeth were crooked and gray which if you watch halloween which you will mm -hmm. she tends to try and cover her teeth and smirk with her mouth closed and stuff because she was so self-conscious self-conscious about her teeth oh god in an interview with good housekeeping she highlighted why she lets go of what no longer serves her i'm a constant editor she admitted i shed people i shed clothing i shed possessions i shed ideas the biggest thing i've shed is my own limitations and perception of who i am we're all looking for a fast track to enlightenment, but it's sweat equity, sweat equity, sweat equity. That is so fucking smart. Yeah. I, I identify with that a little bit, too, just because I'm the type of person who gets rid of shit when I just don't feel like I need it anymore. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I do not hoard things. Yeah. I, I get rid of stuff. I get rid of people. I, you know, anything that isn't working for me, I try to just, like, banish. Yeah. But it's harder than it sound like then she makes it sound I think yeah. the sweat equity thing is huge because when it comes to your career and your body image and all of those things like banishing anything that isn't working for you is very very difficult it's and it's super 
it's simultaneously like depressing and encouraging when I think about I think a lot of women in the Western world I, that's the only thing I can speak to they're they become so liberated about themselves when they start to enter their 50s yeah you know their body image like Helen Mirren talks about it all the time mm-hmm. Jamie my own mother I saw it in my own mother mm-hmm. where finally she got to a point where she was like, I'm cute and this is me and you can just deal with it. I feel really confident with the way I am. And I'm just like, that's amazing. And women yeah. are taught to not feel that way for too long. And it takes them until they be- go past the point of when society says that they are attractive and fuckable, that they feel the most attractive and confident and fuckable. I know. You know? I know. It's crazy. I think about that a lot because I-, I read something recently, some actress you know turned 50 and said I wish I had taken more maybe you were with me I wish I had taken more naked pictures of myself yeah what was that from I don't remember so I but just, I, I remember what you're saying yeah but I don't remember who it was I think we were together but yeah was, you know this woman saying I wish I had taken more naked pictures of myself when I was young because I was so beautiful and I didn't know it and you know I I think about that a lot since I heard that because it's even now at 30 I'm I You're feel 31. much <laughs> Well now I'm stressed No but like in in my 30s how about that um I feel more confident than I did mm-hmm. in the last uh, you know Same. 20 years And it's amazing how I can see that mm-hmm. and I can look at photos of myself when I was 15 when I thought I was fat which was ridiculous right and look at my 15 year old self and think oh my gosh you're so i cute. know i'm so Why beautiful so insecure <laughs> I know. and then I, I turn around and go okay now how do i apply this lesson mm-hmm. to me now oh i can't do it yet oh cool <laughs> i'm gonna go talk to my therapist about this Ooh, therapy that's a good one <laughs> um but yeah anyway um jamie lee curtis is excited to continue aging she says oh. if i can challenge old ideas about aging i will feel more and more invigorated I want to represent this new way. I want to be a new version of the 70-year-old woman. Vital, strong, very physical, very agile. I love her. I love her so much. And um, to end on a few cool facts, did you know she wrote a bunch of children's books? No. Yeah. Like picture books? Yes. Oh, my God. Published by HarperCollins. Goddamn. In 1990, Tony Curtis and Jamie Lee took an interest in their family's Hungarian Jewish heritage and they helped finance the rebuilding of the Great Synagogue in Budapest. Whoa. Yeah, it was built in 1859 and was damaged in World War II. So they helped fund rebuilding it. That's cool. Um, And also, she's a big freaking nerd (laughs) um, for many reasons. Yeah. But she, and this is a lot due to her son, um, but she's a fan of World of Warcraft and she loves cosplaying, usually with her son. Oh, my God. They went to the, the World of Warcraft movie, like, premiere in cosplay. And she goes to cons all the time with in, in co- full cosplay. Like, it, it says she, she'll attend incognito. Sometimes she won't. She once helped her son Thomas create a cosplay of blood elf character Kaeltha Sunstrider. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Look at these pictures of her. We're going to have to include some of these. Right? She's. Oh my gosh. She. Like, I want to be her uh, friend. I want to be her. 
right? <clears throat> Period. She. It's just I just love her whole life story of, of yeah. the the beginnings of feeling not good enough, feeling weighed down by your your parentage, um, expectations, expectations of you both. Uh, you know of your personality and also your physicality yep and you know basically creating a whole archetype (laughs) in a revolutionary movie that's spooky as hell i know and she she's the the og scream queen man and she still reigns dude i love that in fact she has a movie coming out she does to well, knives to out promote. speaking of ryan johnson knives we were out talking about ryan johnson before we started recording knives out is about to come out and i'm really freaking excited and the the reviews of it are pretty positive so far and she's been promoting it so so hey to any of our listeners actually it's interesting it. it's interesting that you talked about her because i was reading a little article about knives out and they talked about how she became friends with the woman who owns the house where they filmed. Really? And so she would just, like, go make lunch for this woman every day. She would, like, make this woman lunch to say thank you for, like, letting them use the house and just hang out with her. And so now I she's... I love her so much. I know. So now she's buds with the woman who owns the set for Knives Out. And I just think that's so down to earth and so cool. Yeah. And uh, just very on brand for everything you've just told me. Yeah. To end all of this, I want to talk about. So we talked about how she got fired from like her first real job. Mm -hmm. And she was so nervous going into Halloween that she really wanted to prove herself. Apparently she was super shy on set. And so her first day of shooting was a long day. Um, She goes home and her phone rings. And she oh, picks no. it up, and it's John Carpenter. Oh, no. And she's like, don't fire me. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. And she's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. He's like, hey, it's John Carpenter. And she's like, oh, my God. They hated me. Everything was terrible. <laughs> I, oh, my God. I'm about to get fired because that she has PTSD from getting fired. Yes. And he was like, I just wanted to call and tell you that you did a really lovely job today, and I'm really excited about this movie and the future of it <laughs> and all this stuff. And Deborah Hill told him he should do it. Yes. I was like, you should call her and tell her how excited you are about having her on board for this. And it helped open her up to get, she was like, oh, good. And she felt more confident going in the next day. Hashtag, we need more women in film. Exactly. <laughs> because he was, he's he's kind of, I think, shy and, and didn't, you know, wouldn't want to be like, hey, yeah. that would be weird, right? And Deborah's like, no, please call her. She, uh, yeah, I mean, she seems to be because somebody he was who, like, like I gets think it. It must have been precipitated by, they were having a conversation about, oh my God, Jamie Lee was so amazing. Like, I'm really excited about this. It's going to be great. And Deborah was like, call her and tell her that then. You should say that to her. I love that. Right? Oh, that's. <laughs> and just knowing I that mean... she and Deborah were like, remain friends. They became really yeah. close because she was 27 and, and Jamie Lee was 19 and they just got really tight on set and like, <laughs> Uh, are you ready for some on this day? I am. Okay, so it is October 16th. Yeah. Here we go. And I'm going to do this Hannah style and wing it. <laughs> I hate you. I love you. Um, 1384, Jadwiga is crowned king of Poland, even who- though she's a woman. Oh, I was going to say who that, but I mean, it's relevant because she's a lady. Yeah. All right. Um, 1793, Queen Marie Antoinette is executed. Whoa. 
That's spooky. That is spooky. <laughs> God, that's crazy. Yeah. 1847, Jane Eyre is published. Another spooky thing. I know. This is great. 1869, the Cardiff Giant, one of the most famous American hoaxes, is discovered. Whoa, I don't know. Ten foot about tall, that. petrified man uncovered by workers digging a well behind the barn of William C. Stubb Newell in Cardiff, New York. What? But it was apparently a giant hoax. Holy shit, that explains the name of the bar that is on Myrtle that is called Cardiff Giant. Oh I didn't ever understand that name. Now I get now I do. Fuck yeah. Oh, this is a good day. <laughs> October sixteenth, nineteen sixteen, Margaret Sanger opens the first family planning clinic in the United States. Oh shit. We gotta do her. I mean, yes, she had some um what is it, eugenics problems? Yeah. Um, but family planning clinics but, are very important. <laughs> you know, she did some good stuff. All right, yeah. Oh Lord. Mm. 1919, Adolf Hitler delivers his first public address at a meeting at the German Workers' Party. Oh. Not so cool. What year? 1919. Yeah. 1923, the Walt Disney Company is founded. Okay. Speaking of uh, anti-Semite. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 1946, Nuremberg trials defendants in the main trial are executed. Whoa. Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe published. 1950. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot. This is cool. Um, Hannah style is pretty great, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, October 16th, 1831, Lucy Stanton is born. Probably somebody we should do on this podcast. American abolitionist and feminist, notable for being the first African-American woman to complete a four-year course of study at a college or university. Oh, wow. Oh, happy birthday, Angela Lansbury. Hey, hey. She is a, a treasure. Who, who is she again? She is, she's Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the Beast, but also uh, the, the oh, fuck. What's the name of her? Murder, she wrote. Yep. Murder, she wrote. Thank you. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Naomi Osaka's birthday. Who that? She's a tennis player. Oh. She's young. She she uh, was the one who beat Serena Williams when she got in that huge fight with that ref. Oh, um, she's um, Japanese, but she's um, she's half black, half Japanese, and she's young and she's like kicking ass and she's like uh, a notoriously lovely sportsman and she's lovely. I really love Naomi Osaka. Um, but yeah, I'll keep I'll end it there. <laughs> I think that's a good a good because she's wonderful and she's a baby because um, she was born in ninety seven. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, God. Happy birthday. It's 22 today. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Um, Dude, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. I feel like this is a good one. I'm yeah. really happy. What are you excited about? I got. I got oh, is this the presents? I got. Uh, ben and I got you a present at. Uh, can I say where? Yeah. Comic Con. <gasps> so we went to New York Comic Con last weekend and we got you something. <gasps> There's a little present for Alex in there too. It's monstrous. It's book one of monstrous. Ooh, it's a daredevil. It's a. It was an exclusive for one of the panels that we went to with Joe Quesada. <gasps> it's signed. <laughs> Deanna, wishing you tremendous joy and beautiful adventures. Signed by Marjorie. <laughs> Oh, I love monsters. It's one of the most beautiful 
comics I've oh. ever read, and it's it's women. Oh, it's Asian it, women. It's set, yeah. It's set in in um. It's like an alternate universe, but it's kind of steampunky. It's kind there. It's there's a lot. It's, How gorgeous is that? It's about demons, and uh, there's a lot of animal, like anthropomorphic animal people. But it's a matriarchal society. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's dark. It's creepy. Uh, thank you, guys. <laughs> Happy volume. belated birthday. Thanks. Volume four. Uh, no. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's stunning, isn't it? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. <gasps> what? Also signed. Volume four. <laughs> Oh my god, this is the best day. <laughs> did we tell did we tell everybody what it is? Monstrous. Mo- yeah, monstrous. I said it. Okay. It's a it's a yeah, hard she's, she's, hardcover. She's got part of her arm is missing. So she's she's disabled as well, but she's inhabited by this dark demon force that bursts out of her arm. Yeah, so we went to the um to the booth for Monstrous at New York Comic Con, and Marjorie Liu and what's her what's the writer's name? Sana Takeda. Sana mm-hmm. um, They were both there signing, and um, yeah, it was it was a really cool. It's really gory too. Oh wow! Cool booth. It's that's not even the half. But also, there's like lots of gay shit. <laughs> there's a lot of gay always, shit. I always love a little bit of gay yeah, shit. How terrifying that is. And yeah, the art is fucking amazing. Stunning. I love this little fox girl. And you're the one who told us about Monstrous, so we didn't know about Monstrous until you, and then we found out they were going to be there signing, so we figured we should go and get... Yeah. Why don't we do that? Yeah. This is the best. All right. Well, let's let's sign out, but... Yes. um, So that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited we got to go to New York Comic Con and bring you cool presents. Yes, dude. Yeah, I love it. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> we all are. Yeah, and that's what makes. I'm going to show beautiful. you the Black Christmas trailer. Okay, that sounds good. Let's let's sign out and all, and we'll watch some trailers. All right. Um, happy almost Halloween. We'll have more Halloween stuff. More spooky shit for you next week. Hell yeah! And uh, send us your ghost stories if you have them to gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. Please, please. And follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, at GWBB Podcast. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We have a Patreon. Sorry for the dog in the background if you can hear it. Um, Patreon.com <laughs> slash GWBB Podcast. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can buy us a coffee on our Ko-Fi. That's K-O-F-I slash dot com slash GWBB Podcast. Yes, ma'am. And that's our show for this week. Peace out, witches. Bye. Bye. for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh, shoot it over to us we would love to read it if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast <laughs> become a patron and help us 
you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.